Let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So today on the podcast, we have Emma Willis, who I'm really excited to hear from. She's actually a former student of mine, so I get to catch up with her, which is so fun. Um, And she's doing huge things in the area of voice and also getting her PhD. And so um, Rachel and I have said multiple times on the podcast, we don't know much about voice. So (laughs) we're excited to hear from you, Emma. Thanks for being on here. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I guess let's just start off by you telling us about yourself a little bit as an SLP um, and including kind of where you're at in your PhD experience. Yeah. So I finished my master's back in December of 2022, so it really hasn't been all that long. Um, So after like finishing my master's, like I was looking for voice CFs, but a lot of them are kind of geared around that May graduation date. Mm-hmm. So I didn't necessarily want to wait until basically a year before starting anything. So I did start my CF um, at a skilled nursing facility um, to begin with and just kind of kept my eyes peeled for voice CF opportunities. Um, timing was kind of funky because most of the time for like PhD programs, like you'd kind of plan that and like applications would have already been like done and over with for the following year. Um, like people would actually be finding out if they got into their programs and stuff like that. Um, for me, um, I'm at the MGH Institute of Health Professions. And so the team there that's focused on voice, they weren't sure what funding they were going to have yet because they were waiting to see if their uh, grant with the NIH was getting renewed. So they found out kind of late, like springtime, that they had their grant renewed. So then at that point, they knew they could take students. Um, So then they kind of posted that into ASHA's SIG3. And I was like, that's super cool. Um, Like I knew um, at the end of my master's that like I wanted to look at like doing a clinical doctorate or a PhD, but I figured, you know, to have a few years to kind of figure out um, kind of my areas of interest, like more specifically within voice. And so I was kind of, you know, talking to some folks at like some different schools and stuff like that, just kind of getting an idea of their experiences as students there. Um, And so they're at the MGH IHP doing a lot of research on vocal hyperfunctions that includes things like nodules, but also things like muscle tension, dysphonia. Um, Big component, I feel like in a lot of voice disorders is a hyperfunction aspect. And so I was like, Mm -hmm this is super cool that like they're doing this research on this kind of really big piece behind voice. So I was like, okay, this is basically what I would be looking for um, in the future. So I was like, well, I'll apply for it. Like at worst, it's just good practice at best. I get in Um, their program is meant for people that already have their licensure. So I've already like finished their fellowship and already Mm -hmm. kind of have um, develop some of these more specific questions and I was like well I should be done with my CF like around when the fall semester starts so, like you know <laughs> it isn't that ludicrous 
um I didn't really think that I would get in and then I got I got an interview <laughs> I was like wow that's wild well that'll be good practice <laughs> um obviously ended up getting in um and they actually offered for me to finish my ICF with them at the mm-hmm. voice center at Massachusetts General so I've had the wonderful pleasure of doing the majority of my CF actually with them and with their oh. wonderful super super knowledgeable like voice specialized SLPs mm-hmm. um so that's been super cool um I got to do research during my master's like not within voice but I feel like that kind of reinforced some of my like interests in doing research Mm -hmm. and learning and I kind of had gotten my feet wet a little bit like an undergrad with doing research as well um and one of my supervisors at my voice placements actually was like oh I feel like voice therapy is like magic and I I don't always understand how it works and um so to me it was like well we know that there's stuff behind it we just don't know the specifics of like how some of that works so it's so I feel like that too was kind of like well, I got to just, I got to know more. Yeah. Uh, and I've, I've always been somebody too, that I feel like the more I know about something and like how it works, um, the better I can make decisions or kind of be flexible with patient needs and stuff like that, especially with something like voice, where I feel like it can be a little nebulous mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, for me, it's like, oh, the more I can know, the better it is for, you know, anybody that I'm, I'm trying to work with. Yeah. That's awesome. Way to like jump on an opportunity too. That's yeah. No, I'm trying to like put myself in the like headspace that I was like fresh out of grad school, CF, et cetera. And I applaud you for doing that. So that is like very far from the setting that I am in both private practice and like in the school setting. So can you talk a little bit about the types of patients that you worked with or you're still working with at the voice center, whether it's like majority adults, pediatric, kind of what that looks like. Yeah. So at our voice center, like we are mostly adults, um, being in Boston, like there's actually quite a few, um, different clinics that specialize in voice. So I think there is a clinic that their niche is pediatric voice. Mm -hmm. Um, but we do still get some pediatric cases here and there mm-hmm. um I haven't gotten to work with them as as much like I got to do the eval for one kiddo and I'm so sad that I was not the clinician that was going to be working with them because <laughs> they were so fun um for their eval um but yeah so we mostly see adults um and really we're very specific on the like, voice and upper airway um, particularly like singers, um, folks with muscle tension, dysphonia, unilateral vocal fold paralysis, and like chronic cough, chronic throat clearing. And then like a couple folks that have like that inducible laryngeal obstruction, which like you might be familiar with as paradoxical vocal fold movement or vocal cord dysfunction, kind of a couple older terms that we're, we've kind of moved away from. Um, and then we do have like some tremor folks, um, not quite as many of them, but I did get to work with one patient on some of the behavioral techniques for uh, making the tremor less obvious without them having to rely on using Botox. So that was pretty cool. Mm, yeah. Um, so that's kind of the bulk of what we see is is very, very much voice, particularly singers with like a little bit of like upper airway components in there. We don't really do as much with swallowing. Okay, cool. Oh my gosh, that's wild. I'm just yeah. like, again, I, I truly haven't worked with a ton of voice. So I'm, I just think it's so cool that you found yourself in that setting. Um, I guess like, what's your favorite part of working with this population? And I know you kind of already alluded to that with like 
wanting to know how things work and, you know, um, why you kind of are pursuing your PhD in voice, but what would you say is your favorite part now, like currently working with voice patients? And then also what's the hardest part? I think my favorite part about working with like voice and an upper airway is, mm. is getting to give people their voices back. Cause a lot mm. of people haven't really had to think about stuff to do with their voices until something has happened. Like, I feel like I've seen a lot of unilateral vocal fold paralysis folks. And like a lot of them, like this was something that resulted from a nerve injury after surgery they didn't necessarily know that that was a possibility so it's pretty traumatic for them you know they wake up and they like can't talk really and and then that doesn't really get better um and so it kind of lingers and you know of course at first like after intubation like you know you can have voice changes and that could be normal but then when it's persisting then you you have more concern so they kind of have this period where they're like oh they're telling me it's going to get better and then it yeah. just doesn't yeah. mm -hmm. um and so it's really nice to help folks be able to have their voice back and um, even like sing songs that they used to do that like they couldn't really do anymore. Um, and then uh, for the cough component, which I, I love working with people for that as well, like I'm actually a little bit prone to like cough problems myself. So mm -hmm. I kind of have an idea of what that experience is like. And so I really like being able to help people um, kind of take the control back with cough problems and kind of have mm -hmm. these strategies instead of kind of being a victim to their cough. Um, and, you know, with, with COVID and everything like that, yeah. like coughs are so much more scary for just like mm -hmm. the general population too. So a lot of people have worries like, oh my gosh, you know, if I'm coughing, like I'm not sick, but other people don't know that. So then they get all freaked out and, and worried and mm -hmm. yeah. the opposite away from me. Yeah. So, that's a great point. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm curious, Emma, this might be a silly question. <laughs> So forgive me, but are there other um, specialties that work in the voice center? So like ENT, um, like other professionals that you work with there besides just SLP? Yeah. So we have laryngologists there. Okay. So that's right. the basically of the ENT. They're the yep. T specialists. They mm -hmm. really are just focused in the throat. Mm -hmm. um, so they're there, uh, which is really, really great. So they can kind of have that um you know, kind of two pronged, like you have the medical approach, but then you right. also have kind of the therapy rehab, um, folks, yeah. which is a really great way to kind of have that team. Yeah, definitely. That's very cool. Um, and that was not a silly question, Claire, because I was <laughs> like, wow, that's a great question. Like who, right. Cause when I like, work team, <laughs> right. Like yeah. my team is a social worker and a psychologist and right. whatever. And that is vastly different from, yeah you know what, I'm sure what Emma has. So Emma, what advice would you kind of give to SLPs, maybe like fresh out of grad school, like you were, maybe they're through their CF, maybe they're feeling like they really want to shift their focus and move away from like a school setting, something like that, who are really wanting to learn more about treating voice disorders? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think kind of the number one thing is like, don't be afraid to like put yourself out there and like ask questions. Um, I feel like most, if not all voice specialized SLPs get really excited when there's people that are interested in learning more about voice and how to help folks that are dealing with voice problems. Um, Cause I, I think, you know, it's not necessarily super atypical, not super common either to have like some of these folks with voice concerns be presenting to like outpatient clinics to people right. that like, that's not, you know, they're kind of, you know, working with a variety of, of populations, mm -hmm. not just voice. And so, you know, like for those people, like, you know, it's totally okay. Um, and we love it. You know, when, when you're asking questions about how you can help this person, um, 
joining like Ashes Sig 3 is a great one, but in terms of like stuff that's free, like there's some um, Facebook groups, um, like I think one's like clinical voice therapy, but there's also voice uh, specialized SLPs in like the general like medical SLP groups as well mm -hmm. that will respond to like voice specific questions when they're posted in there. Um, and there's also Christy Knickerbocker, like you may or may not have heard of. She's a really big um, voice SLP mm -hmm. that does a ton with like social media. So she makes a lot of educational content there, but she also makes a ton of resources on her Teachers Pay Teachers account. And she is cool. one that like you can trust like the quality of her content. She really knows what she's doing and like puts a lot of research into this. And like you know, if something needs to be updated, she does that and will like make that public. Oh, like, you know, I realized, you know, that there were mistakes yeah. in this or like whatever need to be updated. And mm -hmm. so she'll do that and like make sure to inform people so that they know that that's happened, which is really great. Um, if anybody has the benefit of like getting MedBridge through their work, there are also a variety of really great courses on there from, you know, things related to gender affirming voice to like mm -hmm. working with singing voice and chronic cough. So you've got a lot of great stuff there. Um, and then foundations of a voice clinician is a really great one. I think it's mostly geared for kind of grad students or like recent grads. Um, they go over like a lot of different topics and we'll have guest speakers that are kind of experts on things like trach or, um, chronic cough, like inducible laryngeal obstruction, um, clinical voice assessment. So it's really great there. And then they also help with resources in regards to like, you know, doing a clinical fellowship in voice. Um, but those things, like you don't have to do a CF in voice to be able to get into voice, but, you know, not strange either, even if you're like into your career to pursue doing a, a voice CF kind of to help yourself. Kind yeah. Of if you're into that. That's so many good resources. Sure. I love it. I, it's so interesting because I feel like so many SLPs will, like you were talking about the generalist, more SLPs will just like run the opposite direction. If somebody comes to their outpatient mm -hmm. clinic uh, at, with concerns for voice, like we do that at our clinic as well. We typically will say, well, we don't have an SLP that specializes in voice and sends them elsewhere. Um, are you finding that like wait lists are really long then for people to get into your kind of specialty clinic or like, how does that work? I'm just curious. Cause I know we turn people away often with voice. So I'm wondering yeah. like where they're going or how they're ending up. Yeah. There, there can be really long wait lists. Yeah. Like, I know UVA, which is a place that like I did one of my placements at, like mm -hmm. they tended to have really long wait lists. Um, right. For us um, specifically, I think, cause we have the luxury of being in an area that has multiple voice clinics yeah. um we don't always have as big of an issue to do okay. with wait lists mm -hmm. um our niche tends to be like a lot of singers and stuff like that yeah. so we tend to like have it be a little bit slower during the summer times because we have a lot of music schools like berkeley a few mm -hmm. conservatories like boston conservatory new england mm -hmm. conservatory so when the students are at home like you know it slows yeah. down a little bit and then when they come back in the fall then it can kind of speed back up um mm -hmm. throughout the school year um so we kind of have a little bit of ebb and flow yeah. during the year which I feel like was a little different from UVA which kind of sees everybody because they're yeah. kind of one of the only, the guys only one in a, yeah in a small area so mm -hmm. they kind of have everybody coming so they have a more mm -hmm. consistently long wait list yeah 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 just something to consider especially like 
where you are if you're specializing mm-hmm. in voice um, and the types of clients that you may see there. So that's really interesting. Um, so lastly, we want to hear a little bit about pursuing your PhD because we, neither of us have, mm-hmm. and, um, I'm curious what that, the startup of that process has looked like. It sounds like you're in a great setting. That's letting you finish your CF, which is awesome. Um, but what has that been like so far? It's been really cool. I think yeah. it's been a little tricky because like, you know, a portion, um, a large portion of last semester, um, or well, basically the whole the whole last semester was kind of wrapping up CF stuff and then getting mm-hmm. ready to, you know, put in my application to ASHA. Um, and so it was kind of a little bit of like a transitionary period where I was mostly focused on clinical work to kind of shifting to be more familiar with the research that they currently have going on and being mm-hmm. involved with the research. Um, it's super cool to have like such a good team of folks that are really interested in voice because we have, you know, voice specialized SLPs, we have laryngologists that are part of our research, and we actually also have engineers that are part of our research that like are experts on like acoustics and kind of creating this different stuff, um, and, and equipment, um, for, you know, voice assessment and all this really, really cool. It's wild. Like some of the like stuff that we have and they're like, this is like one special scope out of like four in the whole world. Oh my, like, god. Oh my god. My gosh. I'm the one that's running it. That's not <laughs> racking at all. I hope I don't break it. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Um but it's it's super cool. So the the program at the IHP, I can't necessarily speak to some of the other places. Um mm-hmm. but for this, since it's meant for folks that are already licensed clinicians they've really pared down the program to where it's really just giving you the stuff that you need that you don't already have. Um, so like statistics, like research mm-hmm. design, like methodology, um, like how to teach, because some folks are interested mm-hmm. in that moving on to like, you know, being a, a professor at like, you know, an SLP program yeah. um, and stuff like that. So they actually teach you oh. about how to do that, how to develop a curriculum, kind of that transition from mm-hmm. mostly being a clinician to kind of this other other way of being a teacher yeah. um and then they also have like elective credits um because it is like a mixed disciplinary thing so it's a phd in rehab science okay. not just you know is um mo- like half of my cohort it happens to be slps this year but we also have an occupational therapist we have a physical therapist we actually also have somebody with a background in medical anthropology, believe it or mm. not, which is super cool. I didn't even wow. know that was a thing yeah, when I met her. Um, so you kind of have like a mixed group of people that are all kind of going through the same thing, but also have different perspectives because they've got their different expertises um, kind of amongst each other. Um, but to kind of uh, account for that, uh, they have um, like nine credits minimum of basically supplemental or elective courses that you can take so that you can take stuff that's specific to like what you're working on. Mm-hmm. So like I'll be doing stuff that's like focused in acoustics, for example, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, my my friend that's the medical anthropologist is doing a course that's like more specific to like community based research and like how right. to do that, mm-hmm. um, which is super, super cool. And I love hearing about like what she's doing. Um so I like that there's that element of kind of um, customizing it to what you need and what you mm-hmm. need, stuff like that. Um, I've been super lucky that I feel like, you know, like my research mentor, which is, you know, what some other places might call a PI or principal investigator, um, has been super supportive. And I feel like you're 
they really care about like, okay, well, how do you learn? How do you like feedback? And, mm-hmm. you know, so they are really open to kind of any, any input on like, oh, well, I think I need a little more kind of guidance and handholding through this portion versus mm-hmm. like, you know, when I'm further along, you can kind of sit back a little bit. Um, but I really love how much they care about like what I'm interested in and wanting to really facilitate my ability to pursue that and yeah. um, kind of gear the courses in ways that kind of make sense. Cause they as a team that like have their PhDs are a little more familiar with, you know, reading a syllabus and knowing like, yes, this is going to be, you know, what you want to get out of learning about implementation science versus yeah. like, no, this isn't quite what you think it is on paper. You know, maybe something more like this might work better. Mm. Um, so it's, it's been really cool. Um, but it has been kind of tough at times. Cause you know, I moved to Boston totally new place I've never lived in a city like this before mm-hmm. trying to figure out you know balancing doing kind of the research doing to the day but right. um, also doing classwork and just mm-hmm. kind of generally trying to live life and kind of keep some of that balance there but I've learned yeah. a lot even within you know semester and a few weeks of my second semester yeah. and how long does it take for you to get your, uh, like, how yeah. long will the process be? I'm just yeah, curious. That's a good question. Most people <laughs> that go through this program takes about four years. Okay. Um, that's what I thought, yeah. I think for the um, kind of folks that have gone through the voice component have taken mm-hmm. a little bit less than four years. Okay. And then if you like really put nose to the grindstone, you can do it in three. Mm-hmm. Um, for our program, for us to be able to enter our dissertation year, we have to have three papers submitted for publication before okay. we can do our qualifying exams. So that's kind of the biggest limiting factor in terms of like when you can move on to that kind of next stage. Yeah. Wow. How many people, just curious, how many people are like in your like cohort or group or I don't, whatever it's called. Yeah. We have seven people in our cohort. So it's pretty tiny. Four of them are SLPs. Okay. Pretty cool, but like very different interests. Like we have, um, one SLP that's super interested in literacy, like another one that's much more interested in like language development. Mm-hmm. And then there's myself and one of my colleagues that um, we're kind of the two voice people. So it's kind of okay. nice that like we can talk to each other without having to give each other tons of background and we share yeah. an office. So it's not quite as isolating, but then yeah. we still have some of the other SLPs that are like, have no clue about voice and that can kind of yeah. remind us what stuff is not necessarily kind of common knowledge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's nice though, that you're not alone in it for sure, that you at least have some people and someone who's also doing voice. That's really great. Yeah. It's, it's super nice to kind of have that support there. Cause yeah. they also know the team. You can kind of yeah. talk through stuff or problem solve our, our desks are kind of next to each other in the shared office space. So it makes it really easy to kind of be like, what do you think of this homework? Yeah. Like, How's that going for you? <laughs> Yeah. Um, Emma, so similar to the question I asked you before, what advice would you give to SLPs specifically looking at pursuing their PhD, like voice aside, just the PhD aspect? Yeah, I think um, first thing is kind of, you know, making sure like PhD is what you're interested in, because I think there can be a lot of confusion, like what's the difference between a PhD versus a clinical doctorate like SLPD? Mm-hmm. Um, so like PhD, that's very research focused. Like you want to do research, right. kind of build the evidence base for the field. Whereas like SLPD, like that clinical doctorate is much more about becoming an expert in a particular topic, but not necessarily mm-hmm. becoming a researcher. So the kinds of courses that you're doing for that aren't as much about teaching you how to do like quality research and like analyze that quality research. It's kind mm-hmm. of like adding pieces to your expertise 
and you might do like research projects and stuff like that as well. So I'm not saying it's completely moot, but like the kind of career outcomes are very different for that clinical doctorate track versus, you know, research like PhD track. Right. Um, so I think that's kind of the first thing is to kind of parse out like, okay, what do I really want to get out of doing this that's... in the end? Sure. Um, and then researching like different like institutions and the folks that are at them that like might be, um, you know, in the area of interest that you have and like reach out to them. Like they're usually excited to talk about their research and like, don't even feel bad if you email them a few times. Cause a lot of folks like their email inboxes are wild, like they're mm-hmm. really expensive emails <laughs> all the time. So them not replying isn't necessarily that they saw it and they didn't want to answer you. Like they might've just not seen it at all. So like, don't feel bad to like email a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, like see if you can like meet with them, talk about, talk with them about what they do. Like if you have any resources to talk to like current PhD students or like SLPD students at like the place you're thinking of going, like that can be great even if it's not that they're researching or kind of focusing in the same area as you because they can talk about their experience as a student there. Mm. Um, and then, you know, it, depending on kind of where you are in your career, like if you're still in grad school versus, you know, if you're kind of out working clinically, like see if you can get opportunities to be involved with research, which I think is probably a little bit easier while you're still in grad school with some yeah. of the like GA positions and stuff like that. But I do know like some workplaces, like they are doing research there and, you know, see if you can get involved with some of that. Uh, One of my cohort members, the physical therapist, that's how she's ended up in the program. She's been involved with the research that they're doing at the ALS clinic that she works at. Mm -hmm. And then she was like, oh, I'm kind of limited now by not having some of this knowledge that like I would get from doing a PhD. Um, And so because she wants to pursue being more and more involved with the research at her work, she's like, okay, it's time to come down, like do the PhD, like learn all of the stuff that I don't really know about so that I can really meaningfully now participate in this now. Hmm. Um, So I think biggest thing, like, don't, don't be afraid to talk to people and like, also it's okay to like, take your time and like develop your research questions. And um, if you see something that like might be a cool opportunity, like, apply for it like at worst yeah. it's going to be good practice like at best you, you might get offered that opportunity but like you can always turn it down like if it turns right. out that that's not a good fit or maybe the timing's not right like whatever right. it might be right um you, know, you can always say no yeah that's awesome well I am so proud of you I think it's I think again you're a great example of yeah taking the opportunity and running with it um and I'm so glad that, that it's all working out with for you. We really appreciate you letting us know about everything too, because again, it's just not our world. So we, we love hearing from you and we may seek you out again to get even more Mm specialist in like specifically what you're doing um, as far as your research projects and stuff. That would be another great episode for sure. Um, Anytime. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Emma, again, for your time. We really appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me on. It was great talking with you both. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. You can find me, Rachel, on Instagram at supersweetspeech or on my website, speechissupersweet.com. And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech or on Facebook on kindly speech. And then you can email Rachel and I, if you have any questions or concerns, we are let's talk about speech podcast at gmail.com. Thanks.